Hello, you're listening to GSD Radio live from Virtual Gund Hall in Virtual Cambridge, Massachusetts. Welcome to Immaterial, a bi-weekly series exploring faith, spirituality, and the sacred in the discipline and praxis of design. I'm Gabe Colombo, a second-year MARC-1 student here at the GSD. And I'm Nima Zamanpour, a third-year MARC-1. Today on the show, we're speaking with Jocelyn Chio and Gabriel Lamb, both MARC-1s in their third year at the GSD and student leaders of the GSD Christian Fellowship. And before we get into the conversation, we just want to take a moment to introduce the show and, and talk a bit about the themes that we'll be diving into um, thank you, of course, for listening this evening. Hope you're hope you're doing well. So, um, religion and design have, of course, always had a kind of close relationship. Um, many of the great works of architecture, landscape, city planning, and design have been either explicitly or implicitly centered on kind of this fundamental human quest for greater meaning. Um, but since the Enlightenment and the rise of modern architecture. Um, we've kind of seen faith, spirituality, and the sacred become increasingly compartmentalized. The goal of Immaterial is to push against this compartmentalization. We, went, we want to highlight the ways designers, scholars, and others of many faiths and spiritual traditions continue to imbue the design discipline with deeper meaning and understand their own spiritual lives in relation to their professional work. To kick off the conversation off, Gabe, do you want to share a little bit about your own particular perspective on these intersections? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Nima. And um, if you're listening, feel free to, you know, we want to make this a, a dialogue and a, open up a kind of wider conversation. So definitely feel free to, um, you know, put your comments or thoughts or questions in the chat. Um, we'll have an opportunity to hopefully um, take some of your questions for, for Justin and Gabe a little bit later. But um, again, you know, feel free to engage with us. Uh, you can also find GSD Radio on Instagram at GSD underscore radio. Um, but anyway, yeah, thanks, Nima. So I guess, um, you know, to, to start things off from my perspective, uh, I grew up in, in the Roman Catholic tradition of Christianity, um, which is obviously a, a kind of very deep and old um, faith tradition. And I really, um, you know, the liturgy, the, the ancient formality of the liturgy, which is sort of the collective worship of the church um, really spoke to me from an early age. I've always been interested in sort of theater and music, and um, you know, I think the Catholic liturgy really embodies sort of a, a lot of um, those aspects of art. And of course, architecture is a huge part of of Catholic uh, history and tradition. Um, and my dad's an architect, so uh, <laughs> growing up, I was always sort of thinking about architecture and around architecture and definitely thinking about the way that architecture uh, related to and supported the the rituals and traditions of um, the Catholic Church. In the past couple of years, I've, I've found a home um, in the Episcopal Church, which is the sort of Anglican uh, church in, in the United States, um, the Anglican Communion being a sort of uh, Protestant uh, offshoot of the Catholic Church uh, from the sort of time of the Reformation with Henry VIII splitting away from Rome. and um, But the Anglican Communion still sort of carries a lot of the, the elements of Catholicism and, and the Catholic liturgy. So I've uh, really 
appreciated that new home as well. But anyway, in the past couple of years, I my interest is is really in urban design in terms of design, and um, I've been thinking more about the kind of ways that um, we can apply thinking about liturgy and collective ritual um, and those sort of areas of theology to an understanding of the city and our collective rituals um, that we participate in and, and sort of expanding notions of sacred space from just architecture uh, to thinking about all of kind of the city and um, and sort of the full range of human habitat as sacred in some ways. Um, so that's a little bit of background on me and, and sort of some of the things that I've been thinking about. Um, we'll, we'll definitely have more time for diving into more discussions um, in future episodes. Um, but yeah, Nima, do you want to share uh, some of your own uh, experience as well? Yeah, thank you, Gabe. Um, so my name is Nima Zamanpour, um, third year at Mark One. To go into my background, um, I'm the child of uh, a diaspora from Iran. My entire family is from Iran originally. Um, was raised Muslim, but a, a very um, liberal version of Islam, where I would just basically go to Saturday schools and, and learn the Quran, but um, mainly as an idea of like the culture of Islam and the culture of Iranians. My, my mom was very interested in New Age spirituality, so that was a huge part of my life, a sort of like hermetic understanding of all the different faiths and bringing them all together for their singular understandings of love and um, a universal or absolute God. I, in middle school, like some others, through I kind of lost my faith and became a, a hardcore atheist, um, which was the, the case for a while. I was secular for a long time, and, I, and through poetry, especially the poetry of Rumi, I sort of discovered a sort of spirituality for myself, a very personal, personal spirituality, um, and a form of mysticism that I was really interested in, um, which guided me down to meditation and a new a reading of the texts and an academic curiosity about various faiths. Where it is now is still a very strong interest in mysticism and especially how different traditions understand the sacred and how this sacred space is related to the body and the individual and how the temple from its historic origins can be this sort of threshold between us and other realms. Um, and where it's playing out now is a strong interest in the religious traditions of the ancients and it's sort of the ritual associated with various traditions and where that intersects with design and space. Um, and, and that's where I'm sort of at, uh, I, I read a lot of the old, arranging the Old Testament to the Book of Mormon over this past summer and the summer before that. So I'd love to get into a longer yeah. conversation with Gabe <laughs> in a future episode about this. Absolutely. That's that's so great, Nima. And yeah, I think just to jump into the the um, ancient ancient uh, sort of traditions are, are really interesting. I'm, I'm taking a liturgy class um, in the Divinity School this uh, semester, and we just read a book about ancient Christian worship and, you know, so much of the kind of embodied spirituality that um, was part of their their early, you know, worship and how worship was like not just going to church, like it was your full life was worship um, and everything you did was part of worship. And I think, you know, some of those things we've, we've maybe lost uh, over the history of Christianity, but... Um, there's so many amazing different traditions um, to draw from with with so much rich history. So anyway, well, we will leave that for for continuation. Um, but 
Yeah, we're really excited now to welcome, um, again, the, the leaders of the GST Christian Fellowship, um, Jocelyn Chow and, and Gabe Lamb here on Immaterial. Um, again, both Jocelyn and Gabe are MRCs in their third year. Um, and welcome, Jocelyn and Gabe. Hi. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for having us. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having us. We're so excited to be on the show today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming. So we want to kind of start off the conversation with um, just a question about, you know, how would you describe your spiritual background? And maybe that reaches back to kind of your earliest, you know, memories of spirituality and, and something of sort of how your childhood, um, you know, was related to that. Yeah, I guess I can start off. Um... For me, um, I would say I, I grew up in a Christian household. And so my mom and my dad were both um, of the Christian faith. Um, they got to know, um, they got to kind of, they met the Lord um, at a young age. And then um, they kind of raised me and my brother up in, in kind of a Christian household. And so from a young age, I just remember um, learning about God, learning about Jesus at, in Sunday school. And so I was brought up um, learning about these Bible stories and going to church every Sunday. Um, but I would, I would say that for me, I think growing up in the church was both a blessing and a curse for me because, you know, on one hand, I was raised with all these like, Christian beliefs, um, but I kind of wrestled with um, whether this was um, something I believed um, for my own. Was it something just my parents kind of passed down to me or was it something that I truly believed and experienced? Um, but I would say that there was a period in my life probably in my teenage years when I was kind of first transitioning to college, that was when I started to ask a lot of deep, like existential questions about life, about my existence, about what the meaning of life, what my purpose is. Um, it felt like a lot of the things I was doing was quite meaningless and I was searching for kind of a deeper purpose to guide the things that I was doing, to guide kind of the decisions I made for my life. And so, in that period of my life, I remember just asking a lot of people that I trusted, mentors, um, friends, um, people I looked up to, I would just ask them these questions, but it seemed like a lot of these, I couldn't find the answer that I was looking for. It seemed like there was still something like a deeper longing in my soul. And so in those years, I remember um, just kind of going to church, but also kind of asking like God, you know, you know, are you there? Do you exist? And if so, you know, that now would be a good time to speak to me. Now would be a good time um, for me to experience you. Um, but I would say in those period, in that period of my life, um, I started to experience um, God as something that was very real to me and not just something that was passed down by my parents. And so I think that experience in my youth and in my teenage years, my college years, that really kind of Kind of was a turning point in my spiritual journey and um, I began to discover um, what Christianity means for me um, on a very personal and very kind of day-to-day -day basis. Um, yeah I think my my story is very similar to Jocelyn's. Um, my parents became Christian when they went to college when they went to university and so I also grew up in a Christian household. Um, I grew up going to church Sunday school, all that, all that stuff. Um, but I think as a kid, you sort of like adopt the customs and, and 
the behaviors of your parents, whether intentionally or unintentionally, you sort of um, don't really question the, the rationales or the reasons why behind um, the, the things they do. And so I think pretty much all throughout, um, all the way until maybe the end of high school, I think that pretty much summed up my life and my um, stance towards Christianity as something that was passed down to my parents, uh, from my parents, my, I'm sorry. Um, and I think when your parents are, are Christian, you see you see the faults in your parents and you almost attribute that to your faith. Uh, and, it, and it became really difficult to, to distinguish what it meant to be a Christian or why they were Christian uh, when I saw the behaviors they did. Um, and I think it, it's just sort of a fault of um, the imperfect nature of humanity. Um, and so when I went to college, um, I came to America for college, uh, I think it was one of those moments where I was given the, the, the freedom of choosing my own schedule, but also my own lifestyle. And I think it was then that I um, sort of like was allowed to make the decision for myself whether I wanted to, you know, keep going to church. Um, and it also brought about a lot of um, a lot of questions about um, why I lived the way I lived my whole life. Uh, and I think it, it sort of went down to like like satisfying my parents' expectations um, and also sort of being comfortable doing the routineness. Of, of what Sunday was. Um, yeah, but I think I, I really had to go and um, explore or, or almost answer these questions of, of like, what is my purpose? Like, what, what do I really want out of this life? Um, also a lot of questions about like the, the, the baggage and, and the history of Christianity. Um, I think the Christian faith has a lot of um, yeah, a lot, a very complex history that, that I had to really delve through and, and figure out exactly what that means um, and what it means to me personally. Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot of searching about the authenticity of what the Bible was, um, the authenticity of the things it says. Um, and I mean, I'm here now. And um, I think, I think like the, the result of all that searching has has allowed me to have the faith I have, I have now. So for the next question, um, Gabe and I have talked a lot about this, about sacred architecture and sacred space is this this thing that almost is like one of the predecessors to for the things we study from the broadest range of history for architecture. Um, but it's also an incredibly undefined, but also a broad term to capture as it, as it changes based on each tradition and it changes person to person with their own faith and traditions. Um, so we want to start with saying, what does sacred space mean to you? And starting with Gabriel. Um, I think sacred space um, isn't particularly connected with a, a particular physical place. Um, the, the, I guess the, the, typical Christian answer to that would be a place where the, uh, our Christian God is present. Um, and it's to sort of elaborate that, um, um, sort of the Christian faith believes that the, that God is a living present being who, who resides and, and reigns over, um, each and all of our lives. 
um, and is is fully present in in like the past and now in the future. Um, and so, um, I, I personally see it as a, a space of spiritual significance, and I think that could be at times what most people think of a sacred space, which are like large cathedrals. Um, but I think um, a sacredness of space is more connected with um, the remembrance and memory of of, of activity um, of those who've used it. And so I think that being said, it, it's almost more tied to the people um, than to its physical place of activity. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that like sacred spaces are like, like almost like temporary or fickle or like will change. Um, Cause I think they're sacred, like they're very powerful and they exist. And um, even though we believe that, that our God is um, not really tied to any particular space or, or defined by a particular space that, that often our experiences in Christianity um, are mediated through these spaces. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess like to, to read or I'll, to summarize, um, yeah, I think sacred space is less of a, a real or not a real, but um, less of a, a singular space, but more of a series of different spaces in which we encounter our, our God. Yeah, that's really great, Gabe. Um, I just wanted to hop off of your point because I was thinking of the same thing in which sacred space for me is also, it's not a physical space for me. Um, I know I study architecture and I am quite amazed by, you know, really elaborate interiors or these interiors where you really feel that interplay of um, shadow and light. Um, but for me, I think sacred space is kind of the activity that go, that happens within the space. And um, it's a, it's really, for me, something that can be found in the everyday. It can be found in the tempos of the everyday. It's, um, it's a space where I can feel this deep sense of peace and rest. Um, it's a place where I can connect to something beyond myself. And I connect to, um, for me, it's God. Um, but for others, it might be some other higher being. Um, it's a place for me where I place down, you know, my work, my agenda, you know, my email list. Um, and I, I kind of lay that all down and I learn to be still. And it's a place where I kind of encounter um, this deep peace. Um, so for me, I think it, it can be found, if, if I were to give an example of the sacred space for me, it's really something that I find in the everyday. It's that moment when I first wake up from from bed and I spend time to meditate. Um, it can be that moment when I'm drinking a sip of my coffee and looking outside and without a worry in, in the world, I'm, I'm just staring at this, the beauty of nature. Um, it's, it's the space in which, you know, every week we have this dialogue with our fellow believers and we have this like open conversation and we share from our hearts. Um, so it's a space of deep connection with other fellow believers. Um, yeah, I think for me, it's it's really, it can be found in the everyday and it's not a physical space for me. And um, I really love what um, Gabe, Gabe um, C. brought up about the liturgy and how in the past, you know, liturgy was understood, worship was understood to be something that wasn't just confined to one aspect of your life. You didn't have to, like the understanding of worship is it seeps into all aspects of your life. And he was mentioning how that was kind of disappearing. Um, but for me, I was reading this book recently called The Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life. 
And I really appreciated how the author was mentioning that, you know, these sacred practices and these sacred spaces don't have to be these like grand expressions. They can actually be found in the ordinary tempos of our life, whether it's making your bed, brushing your teeth, um, having these like everyday conversations with people. I think for me, at least sacred space is something that I try to make space for and I try to find in, in my everyday life. That's yeah, that's fantastic. Thanks for thanks for those answers. I mean, there's so much there's so much to talk about in there. Um, I really appreciate the kind of de de physicalizing of of sacred space that you guys are kind of getting at. I, I think the and I think that's really important right now as we're in a pandemic and most most people who are part of sort of a formal religious tradition um, are not able to come together in the physical way that they they were prior to the pandemic. And I think especially in, you know, speaking from my from my background, especially in the more liturgical um, Christian traditions, um, there is, I feel like, a kind of overemphasis perhaps on the physical church as like the only sacred place or like the the only place where God can be found um, and a, a sort of emphasis on like this almost like magic trick quality of like what, what the, the worship, you know, is and the kind of sacrament of the Eucharist being like this, this thing that just happens, the priest can do it and like, voila, like it's Jesus. Whereas I think there there's a lot more of the participatory aspects of um, of connecting with God that are um, you know may have been left out and in, in in Christian um, liturgical traditions. Um, so I I appreciate the sort of emphasis on space as a, a as being with people um, as connecting with those small rituals of your daily life. Um, and that it's not necessarily architectural. Although, I, not to get too into the theoretical weeds, but uh, somewhere in uh, one of Heidegger's essays, he talks about, like, the the temple, he's talking about sort of a Greek temple, but, like, he's talking about the, um, that sort of god, like, the god of the temple, be it, like, Apollo or Athena, is actually, like, made present by means of the temple which I think is a really profound sort of um, idea that there is something about the architecture um, and the sort of bounding of space that does at least perhaps inclines the human spirit towards a, a particular disposition that makes the connection with a deeper reality present. So, I guess building off of that, what you were saying, Jocelyn, about there being aspects that or sacredness is kind of like a state of mind that is brought up within yourself and i would ask are there spaces that kind of make that more possible for you or kind of bring out make it more easy to kind of ground yourself or, or get to that that state that you want to be in? especially is that is that noticeable from a lack of being able to visit a physical space in your being in your own home during covid that there's things that you you wish you were around again whether that be community or, or certain spatial moves yeah, that, that's a great question. And that's something a lot of um, the communities I've been a part of, this is the question that has been plaguing us 
and every week we're saying, you know, we miss being with all these um, fellow believers. And um, I think part of the physical realm is, you know, you have these interpersonal touches, you can you know, give hugs to people, you know, having this um, gathering space in which you see these other people, you see the ways in which they worship, you see these expressions on their face. Those are things that um, you, you really can't capture on the screen, the one inch screen of Zoom. And so even last week when we were, or even yesterday when we were meeting in our fellowship, we just kind of lamented and we we're saying, yeah, it's so sad that, you know, church has become like this. And how do we build community in this time of COVID and Zoom? Um, but, but we were, we were seeing, we were also thinking that, you know, this, this is something that might continue on and we need to figure out ways in which, you know, we're not limited by the four walls of the church and figure out ways in which we can sustain this community. And so I don't necessarily have an answer to what, what the solution would be, but we are just, we are just trying to, I guess it just requires more effort from all of us. Like we're, we're trying to create that space in which, you know, we come, we're laying down, you know, our work and our, it's, it's so easy right, right now in, in Zoom space to be multitasking. Um, but I think to kind of treat it like a physical space, you're entering this Zoom room and you're kind of laying down the tasks that you have for the day and you choose to focus in this one, maybe one hour, and you choose to listen to, you know, your fellow brothers and sisters and enter into this honest dialogue and um, together um, worship and pray and, and spend that time together. Yeah, so I think that's been something we've been thinking about recently in, in not just um, the Christian circle, but in all of my classes and in all of my communities we are asking, how can we build community now? Now that we don't have this reliance on physical spaces, um, what is what is the way or is the method for us to sustain a community? Yeah, I think both Gabe and Jocelyn have like raised a point of there, there's almost something very intangible and very um, almost magical that comes with being physically in close proximity with each other. Um, and I don't know, I think there's something very, like, very unexplainable when it comes to especially the idea of, of um, gathering and the collective act of worship um, that sort of brings about these, um, like an experience that you, you almost can't replicate when you're by yourself. And I think that is one of the big um, uh, sentiments going on in many many communities right now um sort of an, an inability to capture this this um collectiveness that we feel that we're very used to um and i think that's also just part of like the 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 act of worship being something that we don't really know how to fully explain that i think there's a lot of different facets uh, and a lot of um different aspects to what exactly worship is and so like we've tried all these different ways. We've tried like gathering together at a church or for worship. We've tried going by ourselves to worship. And I think they're they're speaking to to sort of incomplete parts of a full picture that we don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just one more one more thought I think is just to go back to ancient Christian worship. Um, you know, it, it was really interesting to read about um the, the sort of central worship of the the Eucharist um, 
that we think of today um, was sort of initially much less formal and um, was actually really just a meal. Like the, the kind of the importance of the meal in the ancient Mediterranean world was so um, great. I mean, clearly meals are important for us in the modern world, but there was a different a different aspect of it um, in, in the ancient world. And um, I think to go back to that model of, of small gatherings for meals um, that are less maybe public, more private, that have a greater intimacy, you're meeting in the in your home, um, and and that's where you're you're finding um, and connecting with, you know, God. Um, I think that model is really can be really useful and important uh, for us now. I mean, not even just in the Christian tradition, but just for for humanity. Uh, I think we may have lost you for a second there. You yeah, sorry. My internet is. Yes, I think. Uh, what What did you not? What did you miss? Or uh, maybe just I guess the idea that um, you know, not not just even for Christian. The Christian tradition, but uh, for for humans in general, that uh, mm. thinking of these smaller gatherings as just as valid and just as meaningful, um, even if it's on a Zoom room. Um, so. Yeah, I love that. I actually wanted to add a point in which something I've noticed recently with our fellowship. Like last weekend, um, we actually did the exact thing that you described: gathering for a very small meal. One of the um, one of the leaders in our fellowship, Jeff, he might be listening. If so, hi, Jeff. Um, he actually has this really famous recipe for jerk chicken, and that is very um, well known by, by many other um, believers around. And so he offered to cook um, jerk chicken for a few of those who were in Cambridge. And of course, they did their social distancing. He wrapped the jerk chicken in foil, and everyone gathered, and it was this amazing setting. I'm not in Cambridge right now, but I saw pictures. And I think that that is kind of, that's gonna sustain us these like informal small gatherings. Like we as humans, I feel we, we need that connection to other people. Um, we need, definitely it's not possible um, to be like always physically intimate, but um, to in, in this time of COVID and in this time of isolation, it's important to not stay um, socially isolated. We have to be physically isolated, but it's important to kind of surround yourself with a network of people and to have these small gatherings in which you can enjoy the company of others. I guess building off of the, the, the previous question about um, your own personal histories and faiths, the, the idea that I think, I think all of us have kind of gone through the same thing of, of finding our faith again with intentionality or finding like our own method of spirituality with intentionality. I was wondering if you could speak to the, sort of the carryover of the culture that comes with Christianity or the culture of ritual that in community that that while you're going through this process that that sort of moves through and becomes part of your routine and is, is another aspect and, and how that fed how that worked with your transitions as a person going into to, into college or transitional moments in your life yeah I, I guess I can pick up on that um, I think 
maybe I can speak to my transition into the GST because it, it has been a pretty um, big marker or a big event in my life going to grad school. Um, I think even more so I see how faith has been, has, has been so integral to me as a person, as a designer, but also um, as a student navigating through you know, the ebbs and flows of the GSC. Um, yeah, I think for me, it's not just a personal journey, but observing this collective journey amongst people in our um, GSC Christian Fellowship. Um, I think I can share a story of why I continue to stay in this fellowship. Um, I think the first few meetings or the first year when I was not really serving, I was just observing the people in the fellowship and seeing how they live their lives. I think I would keep coming back to this fellowship because I sense that, you know, some of these people, they were so different than people I had encountered at the GST. Um, they were willing to kind of put aside their time. Like time is so sacred, time is so precious to us GST students. You know, you can use that time to build another model. You can use that time to make a beautiful drawing. Um, but instead, I, I saw how they would invest their time into people, into um, serving their classmates, um, serving us, and also just taking a Sabbath. Um, so I noticed how some of these people from our fellowship, they would choose to take a Sabbath. So on Sunday, which is usually the most important day for studio, you know, you have crits on Monday, um, you need to finish, you need to go to laser cutter, you need to cut your models on the Zoom. Um, but they would choose that, to, they would choose to rest on that day and they would just choose to not work um, and rather take the time to rest, take the time to like build community. Um, so sometimes on Sundays we would host these things called the brunch or a brunch and then um, we would just gather as a community and not talk about studio, not talk about work, but just kind of engage in this fellowship with one another. Um, so I think that first year of observing these people, um, I, I think I was really drawn to the ways they were living their life and the ways in which their lives were so kind of countercultural to the culture of work at the GSC, which seems to, it's almost this obsession with work in which we want to put down our work and we want to stop designing we want to go to sleep, but somehow we, we are so obsessive with trying to figure out this design, trying to figure out this drawing, trying to finish that last piece of that model. And so I saw the ways in which they chose to rest. I saw the ways in which um, they chose to invest in other people and in deep relationship with others. And I, I was so impressed. And so I've learned so much from these people. And I think some lessons that I've learned and in, in how my faith kind of applies to my time at the GSC is kind of learning to, to, to rest as one, one way in, as to how my faith kind of guides me. Um, instead of always working, learning to kind of engage in that space of meditation, engage in, this, in the space of peace, not letting the culture of work kind of always run through my mind, but learning to, to let go sometimes, learning to engage in, in rest, and also learning into, to invest into deep relationships with other people. Um, learning to think outside of myself and my needs and my project, um, but using that time to serve my classmates, serve my community well. Um, yeah, I think one of the most important lessons that I've learned is maybe I'm not at the GSD to learn how to become the best designer, but maybe it's more about this building up my character and learning out how to how to sustain myself in the long run and not to treat this this time at the GSD as this sprint but rather treat it more as this marathon in which I'm learning how to design. I'm learning all these great things about theory and history, but at the same time, I'm learning how to kind of my attitude and, and towards work and, and how I can balance work and life and my spirituality.
Yeah, I think I, I can echo a lot of what Jocelyn's saying. I think like so much of what she said has also happened in my life. Um, and I think for me, moving into grad school, um, I sort of think like we see retrospection in 2020. And so only now do I see like what exactly happened in my life and the ways in which the sequence of events have led me to where I am. Like for example, like the only two grad schools I got into after undergrad were Harvard and MIT. Like I didn't get into any other schools that I applied to. I didn't get, I didn't get a single job that I applied to. Like literally the only place I could have gone besides going home if I wanted to was uh, to Cambridge. And so like, I, like, it, you, like we, I could attribute this to like, I don't know, like luck or like my, my rec letters or like my, just so happened that my instructors were GSD, uh, were also GSD alumni. But I think, I think I realized that there was possibly something more to that, that, that I wasn't able to explain. Um, and I think also being here and, and being a part of this group has led me to um, sort of see a type of peace uh, that is beyond understanding, like something I don't really know how to explain. Um, and I think I'll, I'll try to explain it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think for a lot of us that are, are I think to use GSD um, analogies, like our fundamental critic is, is not our jury. It, it's, it's God and, and he is not um, a critical God. Like, yes, he is critical of my actions, but he's not critical at all of, of who I am. And I think there's a distinction there that's often lost. Um, and so I, th I think a lot of us um, are, are, are seeing the narrative of the GSD of, of always needing to work, of always giving up our time for studio, for, for, for all these, um, for research, for, for teaching, for, for, just for networking maybe even, and, and just almost like pouring out our entire like time or our four years here to like almost grab what little we can get. Um, and sort of we're instead here and we don't have to really suck up to anything at all. And, and it's not really about how other people think of my project that really determines whether it's, it's really beautiful or whether it's worth anything. Um, and it's like, it's not like I can, it's not like I don't want to do beautiful work or like I can just slack and say, oh, you know what, God will take care of anything. I don't, I think that's not the case. I think it's quite the opposite. I think, I think like God desires diligence and he enjoys beautiful things and would love to have us make beautiful objects. Um, but I just don't think it like that at all defines um, how good of a designer I am, nor does it matter. Because um, in a way, I, I don't think we really see ourselves as a designer. We're more to, we're more like almost, for lack of a better term, we're more like draftsmen who we sort of interpret these ideas that are given to us. And, and I think that also gives us a lot of reassurance, reassurance to know that, um, you know, like if, if God wants me to succeed here, I, I, he will make me succeed. And if he wants me to have terrible crits and reviews, then I'm going to have terrible uh, crits and reviews. And there's a lot of almost um, like relinquishing control of, of, of my work, of my life, of my time. Um, that's, that's brought in a lot of, of, of um, yeah, a lot of peace that, that I can't really um, describe fully. Um, but yeah, it's, it's almost, I've, I've, I'm here and, I get to enjoy sort of these these blessings that I've been so like gratefully blessed with and, and to try to be someone here who like people can look to and be like, hey, like there's something different about 
how these people live their life. Like, I wonder why or how they can do that. Um, and so I think as, as, as Christians here, we're called to be, um, I think or the term is cities of light or beacons of light to other people. And um, I think that's really defined sort of the way we approach uh, studio, the way we approach our work, the way we approach our, our classmates and our faculty even. Um, yeah. Yeah, there is something so important about uh, kind of that relinquishing control or kind of just stepping back from your own self in whatever way that that manifests itself to you. Um, because, yeah, there is there is so much pressure on sort of um, your I think we tend to link our personal worth with our uh, sort of, you know, our performance in school, um, that's kind of grad school in a, in a nutshell. And I think stepping back from that um, is really helpful. And I think also, you know, there, there's been a real emphasis in the past, you know, century or two on sort of the architect as author, like as a, the designer as this sort of singular figure that comes up with this idea. And I think, you know, there's been plenty of criticism of that. And that's a very sort of um, debated sort of model uh, here in the 21st century, but I think it is definitely helpful to engage in, in a criticism of that. It's hard because at, at, in, in school you are sort of given a project and you, you are doing it. It's like you. It's like one person is doing sort of imagining this whole building. You don't really get the sort of client interaction as much. You're not really doing quite so much of the sort of collaborative stuff that happens in the real world. <laughs> um, and so stepping back and remembering of the designer as a sort of translator almost, um, and as part of a larger system of, of the world can really, I feel like, take some of that pressure off. Um, there's also something interesting you said, Jocelyn, about sort of the Sabbath and the time um, and I think that's become especially important in COVID when sort of all of our life is, is focused on this one window of the screen and it's really easy to just, you know, let everything blur into each other. Um, but taking that time, taking, finding ways to mark time, which I think religion has always been intertwined with, with time and nature and the cycles of history, uh, the cycles of nature. Um, so, you know, whatever tradition you find yourself in that there, there are often those sort of ways of sort of leaning into that marking of time and, and stepping back from this sort of onslaught of <laughs> homogenous time, um, you know, by just even walking around the block, you know, every after every meal, which is a practice that I've kind of gotten into and taking that as a time of re-immersing myself in physical space and it being embodied in the world. Um, those practices, I think, become really important. I guess so. building off of that, like an interesting thread that came from this, um, I noticed a sort of distinction, and correct me if I'm mis, uh, misquoting, but the, this sort of idea that your faith has given you this balance in your personal life and a sense of community that helps you put your time with the JSD in perspective. And this other really interesting thread that Gabe, Gabriel, you brought up of 
that it, it also has defined how you think of yourself in terms of being an author. And, and like, I've heard the secular critique of authorship in a sense that it really synthesizes of the precedent or the culture that we absorb. And I wonder if you could speak uh, more to it and your stance on this, Jocelyn, of what, like, how you see yourself in terms of authorship or, or a vessel or if, like, the, the things you receive and if, like, the designs you put out are almost faded and you become, like, this, this, this channeler of, of your designs. Yeah, I think that was what you said, mentioned right before was kind of captured how I view my work and authorship is that I am a vessel and I am, I've been given these talents and these gifts and I'm, I'm here to steward these talents and gifts, but they're not because of me, my innate like genius or whatnot, but I've been given these gifts and uh, I want to spend my time to steward them well and not, not to think that they came from me, my innate genius, but that I want to be somebody who's a vessel that channels this creativity into something that can bless others or to help, um, you know, communities or, you know, help the, the urban environment. And um, so I, I see myself as not, not just like a blank sheet of paper or, um, you know, like an empty bottle, but more so this productive child, um, this productive channel in which, you know, there is some sort of authorship, you know, there is creativity, um, but it doesn't all stem from me. Um, and so that kind of removes the pressure, as we mentioned before. Um, but it also, it, it connects me to the larger flows of life, you know. And we talk a lot about this horizontal and vertical connection in Christianity. Horizontal connection is like your connection with the world, you know, with your peers. And vertical connection is, you know, connection with that higher being, with God. Um, and so I think of myself as that channel, you know channeling that vertical connection, but also channeling, dispersing it out into the horizontal connection of the world. Thank you so much. Uh, I think we're going to be ending with this, this question for both of you of what sacred space or piece of Christian architecture has been the most meaningful for you in your life? And, and why, is it, why is it or going into the story of that space for you? And it may not necessarily be, it doesn't have to be a church. I mean, I think we, we had some really good discussion about, you know, space not being necessarily physical. So if there's other in, other interpretations, but I think also thoughts about architecture specifically or design would be, would be fascinating. So have a go at it. Oh man, this is this is a tough question um, because I think as designers we also have almost preferences when it comes to like our our ideal space or our ideal cathedral or our ideal church, um, and so I mean I think if I were to name one um, of those, I think like I visited St. Peter's in Rome or or. Um, Notre Dame before before the unfortunate fire and I think like large these large cathedrals are, are not only like quite astonishing for their engineering capabilities but also sort of provide this 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 type of experience that that it's very difficult to, to find elsewhere um, but I think I think the more meaningful the spaces are sort of a little closer to home um, so I don't know if um, I don't know if you guys know, but our fellowship hosts an event at the end of every semester called Tea, 
our finals tea. And it's just sort of, it's the weekend before final review. And we um, we try to just host in a, a room. Sometimes it's Stubbins, uh, sometimes it's a room in, in, um, in the Sackler building. Uh, and we just bring tea, we bring bread, uh, we bring snacks and we just sort of desire to create a place of rest for our school before it like this, this craziness, this monster that is the GSD final review. Um, and I think um, it's very meaningful to me because it's, it, it's literally placed at the singular moment of the semester where I would least expect myself to desire rest. And yet it is the one time I need it most. Um, and I think another thing that brought me, that is very meaningful to me is that a lot of our, our classmates and a lot of our friends are like, look forward to this. Like, even though they, um, they're not part of the fellowship, we're like, uh, are not interested in, in spirituality that they like, they see this event as sort of very, like a very strange or unexpected event. Like how, how does a group take up the most important time of the semester to hold this space um, for for the desire for everyone to desire for everyone's rest, um, and so I think that that's been particularly meaningful to me. Um, yeah, it's so crazy, Gabe, because I was also about to mention you know the GS uh, our our um, T that we put on. So crazy, we're on the same wave wavelength, um, but. Yeah, maybe I can add a little bit to it. I mean, you can definitely describe it in architectural terms, like, you know, the space is dark and it's well lit and well decorated. But again, it's one of those kind of temporal spaces, space that is created based on the activity, based on the people. It's not necessarily, you know, the four walls that are bounding it because this event can take place anywhere. It takes place um, sometimes in Stubbins. Some, last semester we had it in, um, the uh, Sackler building. And even um, the last semester when we went virtual and some of our classmates actually sent tea packages to their classmates. And so they had this virtual tea online in Zoom. And so it just kind of proves that, you know, this sacred space of this tea ceremony, it's so powerful that it can transcend even the burial barriers of gathering together over physical space. Um, yeah, and I, I think it always shocks me how how different that space is from the normal rhythms of the GSC. Um, the timing that event is held is, is also very crucial. Um, but when people walk in, you know, always the comment is like, oh, wow, I, I didn't know there could be such a space, you know. And, and you, you see people, they, they only meant to come in for a while, grab some food. They saw the, the GSC announced email and they wanted to like grab platter, but somehow they end up staying for much longer than they, they thought they would. Um, so you see these classmates sitting on the floor, laughing, smiling. Um, yeah, I think that that has been such a meaningful and meaningful sacred space for me, especially um, in the GSD. Yeah, I really appreciate that practice as a, a kind of opening up that space for rest. I, I think you're spot on. The GSD is, is such a place of furious, work and you know one a former professor who used to work at the GSD kind of described it to me before I, I came as like an international airport <laughs> and in some ways it, it can feel like that with people flying in from all over the world and you get that sense of uh, rush and 
there there's an excitement and an energy about it that that is pretty amazing and i'm you know sad of course that we're not able to to be in that space and especially for the new students um you know but but yeah that space of rest is incredibly important and is something that um i th i think is is lacking so thank you guys for for making that space um we are we're getting close to you know the end of the hour but if there's any other sort of thoughts or or things that we didn't um touch on that you just wanted to share or or that um yeah you know feel free to to add anything more um I've also heard that the GSC can be likened to a machine. You know, you mm -hmm. feel like you're part of this like machinery, which is very efficient. People, um, you know, they whip out models in the span of like hours. But at the same time, a machine is also very emotionalist. You know, somehow it sucks sucks some of that life out of you, that that vibrancy of life, that joy. Um, eventually, you kind of learn how to be very very efficient. But um, maybe you stop. You know contemplating about um, taking these pauses that, that kind of remind us to be human again. Uh, so that's another thing I just wanted to add about the GSC. Um, I think the GSC has been such a, not to mention that the GSC is this amazing place, um, but yeah, there is those, that temple of work and that, that kind of idea that it's a machine that does kind of, you know, it is seared into my mind as well. And before we go, um... As leaders of the GSC Christian Fellowship, is there anything you want to tell us about uh, and how people can get involved with the group? Yeah, I, mean, I can, I guess. Jocelyn, please. <laughs> maybe Gabe can add on if I forget. Um, but we, we we tend to have like two, two email, or we have an email group um, and we also have a WhatsApp group. So if people are interested, feel free to email me or Gabe. Um, my email is jchiou at gsc.harvard.edu. And I would just say our fellowship is it's open to everyone who's interested. We don't have to come from a tradition of Christianity. You know, we've had a lot of people who have just been curious or they've just been searching and trying to understand different traditions. So we're completely open to um, just all, to all. Um, yeah, we have a weekly meeting on Wednesday. Um, but we, there's also other opportunities to get involved. Um, we have a prayer meeting on Monday. We have bike rides on Friday. Um, yeah, Gabe, did you want to add anything? Um, I guess I, I don't really have much to add on to that. I think, I think that um, we're we're just a group of of people who believe in God and are trying to figure out how to be Christian at the school that is GSD. Um, and so like, we're just all here, almost we're here for the ride and like, we'd love to um, talk to different people and, and see how, um, yeah, just see how, see how everyone's stories have, have led us to where we are. Um, and so like, there's, there's no real like pressure to, um, you know, to like involve yourself. I think we, we really enjoy this group as, as a place of, of rest and respite from the responsibilities that we have um, as students. Um, that's about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure to, to be on this radio show. Thanks so much for inviting us. 
thank you for coming. Yeah, thank we, you so much. We really love the yeah. conversation. This is incredible. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Um, again, this, Jocelyn Chow and, and Gabe Lamb, both of them are MRC ones in their third year at the GSD, uh, and they're the student leaders of the GSD Christian Fellowship. We'll be putting their emails in the Mixler chat here in just a sec um, if you want to get in touch with them. So thanks again, Jocelyn and Gabe. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so fun. Thank you. Take care. And before we go, each episode we'll be sharing a short text from a different religious or spiritual tradition that relates to space in some way. So this evening, continuing in the Christian tradition, this is Psalm 127, which Gabe, during his time, the GSC found particularly appropriate for design school. So Gabe, take it away. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, their labor is in vain who build it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, in vain the watchman keeps his vigil. It is in vain that you rise so early and go to bed so late. Vain, too, to eat the bread of toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a gift. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he contends with his enemies in the gate. And that was our show today, or this evening, wherever you are in the world, whatever time of day it is. Uh, Immaterial will be back two weeks from today at 8 o'clock Eastern Time here on GSD Radio. Again, find us on Instagram at GSD underscore radio. And stay tuned. Coming up Saturday at 8 Eastern is Harvard on the Map with Jenny Horowitz, followed by Shuffle from 8 to 10 Eastern on Sunday. I'm Nima Zamanpour. And I'm Gabe Colombo. Thanks again so much for listening this evening. We wish you many small joys.